do want to express my heartfelt appreciation to you veterans for serving. We definitely enjoy the freedoms that you've labored and worked and fought for to protect. So thank you for that. hope it doesn't go unnoticed, but uh, often it does. So thank you for serving in that way, veterans. Um, what a rich morning in celebrating the power of Jesus Christ already in song and in prayer and in hearing the scriptures. Uh, that's, it's exciting to get up and preach knowing the strong man's been bound and that Jesus... Jesus is our king. So I, as we reflect on Jesus this morning from Mark chapter 3, as strong and kind, I, it reminded me of one of the sweetest realities of fatherhood. Uh, one of those things, it's, it may not start sweet, but when you reflect on it, it's sweet. It's when they come to you in the middle of the night because they're terrified of something. Now, if God gives you grace to respond favorably in that sleepy moment, it's a sweet moment usually later. But again, you kind of need that grace from God in the moment. But what, what drives a kid who's had a, a nightmare or they're scared of something, they hurt something outside their room, to come running in and wake you up? Well, one of the reasons they're scared so they probably want someone strong to protect them. They need somebody stronger than themselves. But they also come to you because they think, man, you're my mom or dad, you're, you're kind, you love me. You're kind, and so you're going to act on my fears. You're going to act to protect me. Your, your heart is kind, so it inclines you to act and protect me while I'm scared. So you're strong, and you're kind, and so they come to you for protection. I mean, if you're strong, but you're not kind, which is probably tendency of dads who are really sleepy at night, <laughs> the temptation... If you're strong but not kind, you might be able to protect them, but you're not going to care enough to get up and go or to talk to them or to calm down. You're going to be too consumed with your own matters. Or if you're really kind but you're not strong, they may not feel very safe in your presence. They may come to you, you know, Dad loves me and he cares, but I don't know if he can really do anything about this, you know. But when we come to see Jesus this morning in Mark chapter 3, it's that he's both strong and kind. He has the strength to deal with any opposition, but he also has the kindness to act in the interest of his people. He has strength beyond all strength, and then he has unsearchable riches of kindness in himself. So please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 3. And Mark has left out some of the context of this moment, but Jesus has healed a blind and a mute man. You can read about that in Matthew 12 who is demon-possessed, oppressed you know, by demons. And the man immediately spoke and saw again. And word got to Jerusalem. Jesus did this. And people were amazed, and they're starting to say, maybe this guy's the son of David. Maybe this is the long way to Messiah, the long way to king. Well, that brought an official response from Jerusalem. The scribes were sent down. Go find out who this Jesus is. Go oppose him. So they sent him, they sent these scribes down. Look at Mark chapter 3, verses 22 and following. <clears throat> and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He's possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. 
And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. So this is the context we find ourselves in. Jesus is being accused of demonic activity, of having an unclean spirit. And we see Jesus is strong and kind with his opponents. He's very strong and very kind with his opponents. Notice how kind he is. As they come down, they say, he's possessed by Beelzebul. Saying, this Satan has control of Jesus. We'll get into that a little bit more. And Jesus is in service to the prince of demons. He's doing his bidding. Now, this is as horrific a sin as can be committed, crediting the works of Jesus Christ to Satan himself. And Jesus is going to warn them of this later. But I want you to see first how kind he is to his accusers. And he called to them. Look at verse 23. And he called them to him and said to them in parables. Just please be stunned by Jesus. They've come crediting his works to Satan, calling him oppressed by a demon under an unclean, an unclean spirit. And he calls them over and talks to them in parables. He's so kind to his enemies. He responds so carefully and draws them into dialogue. He knows this great evil and error of their ways, and yet he draws them in. And the scribes are doing what's very easy to do. It's very easy to just make accusations and make assumptions with someone you disagree with without trying to understand. It's far easier to just attack someone than engage their ideas calmly and deliberately. I mean, you see this in the political arena, right? Instead of engaging policies and ideas, opponents attack and just slander the person. And that's what the scribes are doing. They aren't seeking to understand. They're just attacking the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, being the amazing man that he is, doesn't play by their rules. We can learn from here, him here. He's so kind to his opponents just to call them to himself. And he starts talking to them in parables. And this is where you see his strength. Because he's reasoning with them calmly in parables. That's not easy, right? This is Jesus' meekness, strength under complete control. He dialogues with the Pharisees instead of shutting them down quickly. Think of what could have happened, what Jesus could have done. Called into angels to action, spoken fire from heaven, ignored them, walked away. Lots of options here for Jesus. He calls them over and reasons with them in parables. And we see parables. Parables are about to increase in the book of Mark. Parables are stories that are cast alongside a teaching to give us a better grasp and depth of the teaching itself. So they tell a story alongside a teaching to give you better grasp of the teaching, better depth of understanding of the teaching. It might be a window that you look through and you see yourself more clearly, you see God more clearly. It might be 
a mirror that reflects back your sin or your failure in life, or it might be a picture to kind of capture our attention, but it's parables or stories that Jesus casts alongside teaching to give us a better depth and understanding of the teaching. And this is what Jesus does. He reasons with them, showing and exposing their ignorance, holding up a mirror to expose their ignorance. Look at verse 22. He's possessed by Beelzebul, is their accusation. And by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. And he called to them, and he said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. Beelzebul, this name is notoriously hard to difficult, hard to nail down. It's difficult to understand exactly what Jesus might be teaching, but or what the word of Beelzebul truly means. But most think it has in mind the idea of a master of a house. The master, a ruler of the realm of demonic activity. So those are kind of the images attached to it. When I read that, I thought of the master of the house song in Les Mis. Yeah, you know, as they're singing while they're swindling their guests. And it's like this master of the house, you know, it's like fun, but then you're looking around, it's this den of deceit and immorality and stealing and wickedness. And that's what comes to mind here. He's a master of a house, but it's a den of deceit, evil, wickedness. And now they're saying, Jesus, you're employed by the Beelzebul. You're under his power doing his bidding. And so Jesus raises these questions. If Satan's casting out Satan, how can that be effective? Divisions don't extend and increase kingdoms. They tear it down from the inside out. There can be no strength where there's division. Wise leaders work to cultivate unity among their team, their kingdom, their house, not division. I mean, veterans would know this better than me. A military strategy is to divide your enemy. So discord among them, so disagreement, so they'll fight among themselves even while you fight against them. Unity is essential to success in a kingdom. You may even remember Abraham Lincoln wrestling with whether he should divide the nation over slavery. Considering the unity of the nation, is this more important than the abolishment of slavery? Unity is essential. So the accusation that Jesus is possessed by Satan, the master of the house of demons, and that Satan's using his own power to destroy himself is folly at every level. But it does reveal here that there are two kingdoms at work in this world. The, the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of Satan, and these two kingdoms are opposed to each other. Jesus uses house and kingdom imagery to display the reality of the realms of Satan. As Dave read many things where we have Jesus' power over them all. If Satan is attacking himself because he is alive and active, and his works are at cross purposes with Jesus, but if Satan's attacking himself, Jesus just says his kingdom's coming to an end. And it is coming to an end but not in the way the scribes are assuming or thinking. And so you see the kindness of Jesus to ask questions, tell parables, and invite his opponents into dialogue with great strength 
great strength to do this. It's not easy to reason with them in this way. But if Satan's being overthrown, and he is, it's not by his own hand, well then what's really going on? Well, that's where you see Jesus is strong and kind in his work with his opponents, but also with his, in his work. He's binding the strong man and plundering his goods. Look at verse 27. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. So Jesus is playing off these accusations the scribes have made. Right? They're saying you're casting out demons by Beelzebul, which brings into mind this master of the house idea. So Jesus is using a parable to actually display what he is doing. He is walking into the house of Beelzebul, and he's binding the strong man, Satan, plundering his property. And this is the most humble brag of all time. Like Jesus is describing what he's doing in a very humble and forward way. He's walking into the house of Satan, binding him and plundering his goods. Jesus is just very humble about this, the way he says it. But you, you first see, though, that Jesus is strong. He's strong. He binds Satan. The strong man's house is a reference to Satan and his rule on this earth. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. There are rulers and authorities, cosmic powers in our present darkness, spiritual forces of evil against whom we wrestle. Satan wanders to and fro on this earth like a lion seeking whom he may devour. He accuses us to God, makes accusations against God to us. He likes to sow doubt and discord among us. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, he employs the same tactics today. Don't trust God's word. He looks for footholds in our lives, him and his minions. He, he aims to entangle us in sin. But thanks be to God, we are not ignorant of his schemes and his ways. And thanks be to God, like Job, we see in the story of Job, God sets his limits. And within those limits, Satan wreaks havoc, inflicting pain and suffering, but under God's sovereign hand. And Jesus shares this story to display what he's doing. He's walking into this fallen world and binding the prince of the power of this present darkness. He's gaining control over Satan. He's plundering then his goods, the strong man's goods, the demons. He's plundering them and ushering in a new kingdom. And this is what's drawing all this attention and frustration from the scribes. Because Jesus is actively, visibly, regularly showing his power over the evil one, delivering people from his power, delivering them from demonic sicknesses and maladies, restoring people to a new kingdom that has, he's been proclaiming since the very beginning of his ministry. And this is reminiscent of so many displays of God's power over the evil one. In my Bible reading right now, I'm in Exodus and God's delivering his people up from Exodus and he sends Aaron in with a rod, with his rod, right? And he casts it down and it turns into a serpent. Pharaoh is, they're trying to show Pharaoh that one true God wants to let his people go, get his people out. And so Pharaoh calls his magicians and uh, sorcerers and they actually can create the same thing with their rods. 
which awakens us to the reality of darkness. Demonic activity and Satan is real. But then Aaron's rod that turned into a serpent, you remember what happened? He ate the other ones. <laughs> he ate the other snakes. That was early on in Pharaoh's dialogue, and he should have learned early. But God went on to show him again and again and again his power over all darkness. Joshua, at the end of their conquest, reminds them, look, one man routs 1,000 of the enemy. Why? Because the Lord your God fights for you, just as he promised. Moses said something similar. How can one man chase 1,000 or two, put 10,000 to flight? Unless their rock, the false god's rock, has given them up. Their rock is not like our rock. Our rock is greater than Satan and his minions. And the scribes are seeing this and they're hating it. Jesus' life and ministry is a one of binding the strong man. You see his great strength. He does this in so many areas. And then it'll be fully accomplished in his death and resurrection where he accomplishes, he conquers death and sin on our behalf. He takes the condemnation that we deserve, the punishment that we deserve for our sins. Jesus takes upon himself dies the death we couldn't bear up, and then conquers the grave. And that removes Satan's greatest accusation, which is that you're a sinner. You don't belong with Jesus. That's right. But Jesus paid for it. Jesus took it on. You're bound. Your strongest argument, Satan, is bound. And this is where you start to see the Savior's strength, but then also his kindness, that he uses his strength to bind Satan and then through his redeeming work, he blesses us. He blesses people. He's so kind. It says he plunders his house. Mark really likes to use imagery from Isaiah, especially the suffering servant portion of Isaiah. And in Isaiah 49, you have a beautiful passage, 49, 24 through 26 where Isaiah is talking about the suffering servant, and he asks the question, can the prey be taken from the mighty? Or captives of a tyrant be rescued? Can you just walk in and rescue from a tyrant? It reminds me of Boromir and Lord of the Rings when they have to go to Mordor and destroy the ring, and Boromir says, one does not simply walk into Mordor. You don't just go get the captives from the tyrant. But Isaiah continues, For thus says the Lord, Even the captives of the mighty shall be taken, and the prey of the tyrant rescue. For I will contend with those who contend you, and I will save your children. I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh. They shall be drunk with their own blood as with wine. Then all flesh will know that I am the Lord, your Savior, and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. And this is the image we have that Jesus is the mighty one of Jacob, walking in, binding the strong man, and then kindly saving children from this tyrant. And he'll eventually bring full punishment upon the enemy. Over and over in Jesus' ministry, you see this. The strong man is bound and his house is plundered. Satan's power is limited every time it's in the presence of Jesus, isn't it? Satan tempted Jesus. Jesus prevailed. Demons scream out in rage at Jesus' presence, but then they obey his every command. The sick are healed, 
the blind see, the dead are raised, all of this is plundering the house of Satan because Satan's been bound by a stronger and kinder presence, the presence of Jesus. His family comes, they try to seize him, like, he's crazy, let's get him. The crowd comes, they want to seize him. The Pharisees and scribes come, they want to get control of him. But the unbound God has become man, and he's there to bind, not be bound. And through the power of the gospel and the work of the Spirit, our Lord has bound the strong man and plundered his house in your life, hasn't he? Think of how Jesus has plundered Satan in your life. Remember what you used to be. Remember how sinful you were and still are. And remember the spirit of Christ in you that allows you to say no to temptation and say yes to Jesus Christ. This is Jesus binding the strong man in your very life. He's so kind to do this. Do you remember how you talk to other people with sin in your heart? Do you remember where some of the impulses and the desires of your heart, what, what trajectory would that have set you on? Except that Jesus bound the strong man and plundered you from his power. This is glorious. Jesus is doing this all over the globe right now. This is why missionaries go. Because people are blinded in their sin, stuck in darkness, and we have a stronger, kinder Savior who can go in and plunder Satan's reign and rule. This is why we encourage you to pray for someone in your life. Pursue someone in your life with the gospel consistently. Pray for them regularly. Who is it in your life that you know needs Jesus and that you're praying for and pursuing and asking the Lord to open doors for them? Because if you get to speak of Jesus with this person, you're opening the door for the stronger man, Jesus Christ, and kinder Savior, Jesus, to go in and bind the strong man in that person's life and draw them to himself. Jesus is so strong and so kind, and he kindly uses his strength and his good for our benefit to free us from sin. And that's where he turns to next. So Jesus is so strong so kind, he's dealing with his opponents and binding the strong man and plundering his house, but he's strong and kind in dealing with our sin. Now we're into this portion of the text that has scared some, verses 28 through 30, where Jesus warns against an eternal sin. But let's start with 28. Truly I say to you all, to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. All sins can be forgiven the children of man. Just let that settle. Are there sweeter words that you've heard this week? All sins can be forgiven the children of man. Sins of your youth, sins of the aged, Sins of the mind, sins of your hands, sins of your speech, sins of your imagination, sins of the commands we've disobeyed and then the commands we failed to obey, sins you don't even know you've committed, 
sins against those you love the most. All sins. The sins you would be afraid to tell anyone. Jesus says, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. Jesus is pronouncing this truth based on the future work he will do in offering himself up as a sacrifice for our sin. Even the blasphemies we utter. The slander against our Lord can be forgiven through his death on our behalf. We celebrate this truth in song. Jesus paid it all. We see all of it, not some of it, all of it. His blood is of eternal value and his death grants eternal life for all who turn to him for forgiveness from sin. Persecutors of the church, like Saul, have found forgiveness. Backsliders have found their sins forgiven. Murderers have experienced the sweet forgiveness of Jesus Christ. No matter your sin, if you come to Jesus, all of it will be cast into the sea. All of it will be blotted out. All of it will be thrown behind his back. Let that promise, the sweetness of that promise, sink deeply into your heart. All sins will be forgiven the children of man. Jesus is strong to forgive sin. He's also kind to warn you of the need of forgiveness. Jesus is kind. Do you realize warnings are kindness? So he's offering warnings here to those ascribing satanic activity to himself. A warning is grace. Verses 29 and 30, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. And there's questions, what is that? For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. This is dealing primarily with the spirit at work in Jesus Christ's life, spirit of the, the Holy Spirit himself. John the Baptist came and told people that another was going to come, and baptized with the Spirit, a more powerful one. And Christ is this more powerful one who is now acting by the power of the Spirit. And what do we see happening? Well, the scribes are saying, he has an evil spirit. They're looking Jesus Christ in the eye. We were talking about this in staff meeting, and Ryan really fleshed this out. Ryan Hanstad beautifully. He was saying, we're looking Jesus in the eye, seeing the God-man, the exact image of God, the imprint of his nature in human form. The one, Jesus, who said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's the radiance of the glory of God. This is who they're looking at. And what's Jesus doing when they're looking at him? He's in the form of God, but he took on flesh and emptied himself by becoming a servant. So he's healing people from lifelong maladies. He's restoring sight to blind, life to the dead, hearing to the deaf. Paralyzed people are walking. The maimed are restored. What's he doing? But he's teaching. He's teaching people to be meek and humble. He's calling people hunger and thirst for righteousness, and you'll be satisfied. Walk in righteousness and truth. Repent. Turn from sin. Turn from sin that entangles you. He says, hey, poor in spirit, look to the kingdom of heaven. He's encouraging mourners. He's drawing near to those and saying, you will be comforted. He's, he's calling people to be merciful to one another, right? 
treat others as they themselves would like to be treated. He's being very tender-hearted to the weary. And the scribes are seeing all of this. And they're saying, that man's of Satan. There could be no greater disparity. They're seeing the beauty of the man Christ Jesus who's seeking and saving the lost by the power of the Holy Spirit through him and his own divine relationship with his father. And they're saying, satanic. And Jesus says, that's an eternal sin. And indeed it is. It has eternal consequences. Eternal hell is a fierce reality. Sin is an infinite evil against an infinite God, which demanded an atonement of eternal, infinite value. And that's what we have in Jesus Christ. The Spirit, as we know from the Gospel of John, points us to Jesus Christ. And for one to continually deny Christ in this life is to deny the Spirit who gives witness to him. It's to regard the work of the Spirit as having no value at all. So today, while we may not be denying the Son of God in the flesh and visibly seeing him and attributing his works to Satan, for those who continually rebel against the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit proclaiming it through his people, they're functionally denying him and the testimony to the gospel. And to neglect Christ, to neglect the good news of Jesus Christ in the gospel is to embrace the eternal consequences of sin. But there's hope. As Jesus led in, all sins can be forgiven for the one who seeks the Lord, confesses their sin, cries out to him in faith. They will find full forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ. We don't stand in judgment over Jesus like these scribes are doing. We submit to Jesus and his work and embrace him for forgiveness. Don't ever be ashamed of coming to Jesus and seeking help or coming to his people and seeking help, seeking forgiveness from sin, seeking freedom from sin. Because what you find, like on a good night when my girls run in their bedroom and they're scared, what you'll find is that Jesus is strong and kind. He's kind to bind the strong man. He has all the power in the world necessary to deal with whatever struggles you have because he can bound Satan himself. But he's also kind. His heart is towards you and for you to deliver you from temptation of the flesh. He's kind not to condemn you for your struggles. And he's strong enough to give you strength to overcome. Whatever weighs you down, whatever you need help on, Jesus is kind to act in your best interest and strong enough to accomplish whatever it is you need. Live in the reality that Jesus has bound the strong man. Jesus forgives sin. Bring your fears, bring your sins to Jesus. He'll, you'll find him to be strong and kind to deliver you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are just genuinely thankful. Thankful for your strength on full display. Thankful for your faithfulness to deliver us from sin and from Satan and to 
Empower us to walk in a manner that pleases you and reflects your will in our lives. Lord, thank you for the freedom we've all found from sins in our past that have plagued us and entangled us. Thank you for the power of the Spirit in our lives that has enabled us to put on Christ and walk in righteousness and believe truth and repent of sin and turn from evil. Lord, where would we be without you? Thank you for being strong and kind in each of our lives. We pray that now as we turn to worship you, that you will receive our praise. It will bring you glory and honor. And Lord, you will remind us daily and conform us into the image of Jesus and remind us that, Lord Jesus, you have bound the strong man. We can walk in the strength that you provide. We pray all this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.